welcome back everybody to the Associates Podcast. I hope everyone is doing great. I can tell you that I'm doing great after having a very engaging and honest conversation with Dave Hook, owner of the Keller Williams Central PA Real Estate Brokerage here in our area. Dave is one of the most authentic people I've met and in this episode he shares his story from startup to struggling with being a workaholic and addiction to achievement to almost leaving the business altogether uh, before finding a purpose. One of the big takeaways from his story is that while many people believe that being vulnerable is weak, Dave has actually found greater success in business and in life by allowing himself to be vulnerable with the people he loves and cares about most. Check it out. You know, what should uh, what should the listeners know about Dave Hook? Yeah, good question. So, um, I've been in uh, real estate for 18 years and uh, it's a passion of mine and um, maybe some unique information that not many people know, but now whoever's listening to this uh, will know is my story um, is that I had a great, a great upbringing, made some bad decisions in college. Um, you, I may have shared this with you a little bit about my story was, was, uh, was arrested six or like half a dozen times in those years and just really didn't wasn't making good choices last my license for two and a half years um and just not a time that i was proud of and um through that i found my faith um and so my faith became really important to me and um that changed my my life and i began to take responsibility for myself and and um through that journey met my wife and um you know that that's kind of the foundation of of my life and my family my business and um it's not without stumbles and failures and, and all the other stuff that life brings, but it's what I go back to and, and probably makes up more of who I am right now than just about anything else. Right. So when you say you lost your license, you're talking about your real estate license. Oh, sorry. No, I, I, I literally, license. I did. I, I was in college. I didn't have my real estate license then. And I lost my driver's <clears throat> license. Um, so I was, I was, uh, I, I got, I got put on probation in, in Franklin County and it was one of those things where I was just making bad choices in college and, and partying too much and doing things that, you know, at the age of 17 and 18, I, I shouldn't have been doing. And just, uh, I, I continuously got caught, yeah. which, um, everybody would always kind of joke. He always gets caught and nobody else did, but it was probably the best thing that could have happened is, yeah. you know, looking back, right. I, I was glad that I did. Yeah. So born and raised in uh, in Central PA, Dave. Born and raised in Carlisle, uh, Cumberland County, Central PA, and um, yep, live literally. My my wife and I's home is two blocks from where my mom's house is that oh, I grew nice. up in. So yeah, <laughs> nice. I like it. Cool. Um, so coming out of college, you said you've been in real estate for eighteen years. Did you go right into real estate out of college? Yeah, good question. Um, I ended up uh, when I started, you know, taking some responsibility for myself. I I had two jobs then in in the latter part of college and started to kind of take care of myself and pay my own way and all of that. Um, And uh, I I started in, I got an insurance license to sell health insurance. And I did, uh, while I was in college, I was doing that. And and something funny happened. Um, I read a book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And started to be interested in buying real estate uh, while I was in college. And so I got my real estate license in my last semester of college and I had my health insurance life and uh, insurance uh, 
license and my real estate license. And I hung my real estate license at a little brokerage in Belfont, Pennsylvania, near State College at Penn State. And um, I was kind of trying to do both. And I realized I had this passion for buying property. So I bought a property in Newville, Pennsylvania with a business partner um, when I was 22 or 23. And as I was trying to sell health insurance, I realized I didn't even have health insurance. <laughs> it was like this light bulb that went on it. I was like, well, that, there's not a lot of integrity in that. Right. So, but I did own a property at this point. So I was like, I, I really, I, I feel like I'm more passionate about that. Yeah. Um, so I, I moved away from the insurance and um, got into real estate full time uh, at, at the age of uh, 23. Nice. Nice. You said that you, you're living two blocks from your mom's house where you grew up. That's right. That's so different for, for me. I don't think I've lived in one place for more than about seven or eight years, which was a record. That was the last house we lived in. We just moved last summer to a new house. Um, but before wow. that, I was moving a lot. My parents were missionaries, and we lived in different cities. Yeah. I think growing up, probably the most I lived in one place was three years. Um, yeah. So lots and lots and lots of moving. So I'm, I'm, That's crazy. I'm yeah, different, interested different, in listening whole to different. Yeah, yeah. It's a totally different world, but. Um, so, uh, you talked about, you had a, you started to realize you had a more of a passion for real estate than you did for maybe health insurance. And you read that book. Those are really the reasons why you started to get into real estate. Was it kind of like a long-term, you know, well, you know, my building? dad was great question. Um, my dad was in real estate starting in 1959. My grandfather before him was in real estate in starting in 1943. And, um, and my grandmother was in real estate with, with my grandfather. And I grew up in it in the 80s, and then my dad kind of semi-retired from like sales real estate. He owned some property and stuff um, when I was 10 or 11. But when I was a young kid, I remember going to the office with him. And um, my family was kind of real owned property and real estate family, and, and, and so I knew about it. But I didn't really want anything to do with it at all during those years. Yeah. And even in college, I, I, I didn't want anything to do with it. Um, so I didn't think that I was going to go in it. it. It was like, stay away from that for some reason. Um, but, uh, yeah, when I, when I bought that property and fixed it up and, and, uh, saw the, you know, the value of it that, that was gained through that and how that could help other people, it was really became a passion of mine. And, um, and so maybe semi reluctantly, you know, I, I, I called my dad and it was probably, I, I think looking back, it was, it was made him really happy that I was yeah. interested in, in the same thing that he was, was doing or had done in, in his previous life. Um, and so I got into it, um, not, not planning on for sure. Right. And, uh, then we just started and I called my dad and he still had his broker's license and we, um, he, he didn't, he, he didn't want to, he was kind of retired from sales. So he didn't want to sell or do any of that. He, he owns a lot of property and manages those, but he was willing to be our broker of our, of our company. Nice. And so I, I started just as, as myself and my business partner, Denny Ekman and, and my dad was our broker and Denny and I would go into the office, this one room, room, little apartment, uh, on, on main street in Carlisle, um, uh, from the time I was 23. And I remember going in there, it was just me and Denny and, you know, um, we didn't have any listings. We didn't have any training. We didn't have any sales. We didn't have any money. And it was an interesting first year right. for sure. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome though. That's awesome. So how, how quickly did you, you said you hung your license at a company in Belfont and then yep. pretty much right away yeah. 
within yeah hung that license there for a few months yeah. didn't sell anything um didn't know didn't do anything there uh, i i all i did was the broker there gave me a book uh that was copyrighted in the 80s and this was 2003 at that point it was called how to list and sell real estate by danielle kennedy and i read that book that's about all i did there <laughs> and then uh, that was it. And, I'm uh, ready. I think I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready to go. <laughs> it set me loose. And then I came to Carlisle in that apartment with Denny and 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 started coming in. And um, and that that transition was maybe only you know I don't know three three to four months while I was in college and had my license up there to when we transitioned over over to Carlisle. And um, and then we we started and like I said it was it was really started from the ground up with no nothing to show for anything except for the book. I had the book. I, I, I asked the broker if I could take the book and he gave me the book and that's all I had. And, um, and off we went. Yeah, at least you had something, you had something going for you. So, that's right. uh, you guys owned and operated and I don't know quite that story, but you had hook hook and Ekman for 15 years. I mean, it was, it was, yeah. it was a while and, and you became known in, in certainly your region. Um, Let's talk a little bit about that. And then, you know, now you own Keller Williams Central PA. Why did you decide to transfer that? Yeah, sure. So after that first year of no listings, no money, no training, um, I, I I always tell a story. I, I kept coming into that office with Denny and um, and we had a, a, I don't even, like we maybe had a flip phone. I don't even know kind of the situation with the cell phones back then, but w- I remember thinking like, well, when you had, when you register a corporation and you start a company, like all of a sudden everything's supposed to be great. Like that was my (laughs) 23 year old mentality. Like, yeah, my name's on a sign. This is going to be great. And, um, and for months I would go in there and sit at that desk. I don't even know what I did because there was a phone. I remember we had a phone and I remember it wouldn't ring. (laughs) <laughs> and that's all I remember. <laughs> like that was the moral of the story yeah. for the whole summer of my first three months in real estate. We had a phone and it wouldn't ring. Denny always wore a suit. And I don't know that we met with anybody, but he always came in in a suit. That's amazing. I, and I, I looked at the phone. Like Denny, I, I don't I, think I, the phone works. It's not, it's not ringing. <laughs> it's not ringing. <laughs> so I called my dad. And I said, Dad, I said, the phone doesn't ring. And I literally remember saying that. And he's like, what do you mean? Because he didn't go in. And I was like, we're in business and the phone doesn't ring and I don't know what to do. And I was like, I know there's other companies out there and they probably have some training and maybe maybe, maybe I should do that. You know, like maybe yeah. this was a bad decision. I actually quit. And my dad very wisely let me quit. And a couple of days he called me and said, how are you doing? I said, well, I'm doing all right. So we want to try to go back in. And I said, sure. <laughs> so we kept coming back to this dilemma that the phone wouldn't ring. <laughs> and, uh, and so I said, well, what do I do, dad? You've been doing this all your life. You were successful. I mean, he built 23 subdivisions, had a big brokerage with my grandfather, you know, years before he said, well, you got to get it. You got to get out and talk to people a lot of people. He said, the more people you talk to about real estate, the more the phone's going to ring. Well, I said, okay, that's pretty simple. I said, well, what's the best way to talk to people? He said, well, you could go knock on their door and talk to people, or you could start calling people you know. And I said, all right. And I said, you know what's funny about that? That's what the Danielle Kennedy How to Listen to Sell Real Estate <laughs> book said. <laughs> you know? And uh, 
And and so I, I reread the book, How to Sell Real Estate, and and lo and behold, it said go out and talk to people, and here's like the the five or six ways you could do it. So that's what I did. I I I I, I picked three neighborhoods, and for two years straight, I, I went door to door for two to three hours a day. Had the tax records printed out, so I knew their name when they opened the door. I learned that that the colder it was and the worse the weather was, the more likely they'd invite me in. So I snowy days to go. And I learned that if I put rollerblades on, true story, I would get to more doors. And uh, so there I was <laughs> I 23 years old with yeah. my rollerblades on and my little binder and my tax record in the snow and in the rain, knocking on the doors. And, you know, for the first couple tries, got a lot of doors slammed. But after multiple times on the same door, the, the people began to have a little, some weird, weird respect for, for me, I think yeah. of like, you're, you're still here. I've I seen uh, you rolling blade around here for a year. Yeah. Poor for kid. a year and you're still doing it. Yeah. I'm, I, I had the same dialogue. It was the same posture. I always said the same thing. It was John, I'm not, you know, I'm not here to sell you anything. I'm just a young guy trying to start out in life. And uh, I know I don't have much value to give, but I can tell you I'll work harder than the next person. And so uh, all I have to give you right now is if you know of somebody uh, who has a question about real estate, I want to become a specialist in this market and I want to serve people for free. And if they decide to pay me money to hire them in the future, that's up to them. And I would always say that over and over and over again. And um, over time, people began to uh, to reciprocate. And, nice. and, you know, my cousin's looking to do something. Or I have a question about this. And yeah. I, I just would have a servant's heart. And uh, and that phone, that sure enough, it started, yeah. it started to ring. So I, I, I then, you know, Daniel Kennedy, I blocked some time to call on some for sale by owners and some expireds and I had a process for that and, and um, did that for a couple hours a day and then did my door knocking and then, of course, developed a sphere of influence yeah. and um, uh, adopted Gary Keller way back then, his model for the 33 touch program to yeah. my sphere of influence. And those are my three things. I also did open houses, probably two a month, but knocking on doors two or three hours a day prospecting for sale by owners and expireds and then um, touching in with my sphere of influence with yeah. handwritten notes, direct mail pieces and phone calls four times a year. And, um, you know, within the second year developed, you know, 4 million in, in sales. Um, so that first year we only sold one home the whole year, believe it or not. How'd you it survive? Horrible. It was, what's that? How'd you survive? Well, bar we barely did. I mean, I, 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 I got, I cut a deal with a, a distant uncle of mine on a shack that he had that didn't have heat. <laughs> to live there. Uh, uh, and I signed a lease with them and the lease said, I will not pay you rent, but I will pay your tax bill. And it was in the flood zone. So the tax bill was very low. And um, I, I promised not to call them to fix anything. And I just had to deal with that. So I got a friend of mine from college and we literally had no living expenses for like three years. And we lived out there and um, I, I slept in my coveralls and a knit hat in the winter. And there's a little wood stove and we put wood in there because the furnace would never work. Wow. And, um, and that's, that was my first couple of years in, in real estate. And, um, and then year two was pretty good though. The phone was ringing a lot and, and we did, I did 4 million in sales and we hired another agent and, and I hired an assistant in year three, six, seven million in sales. And, um, and then, you know, as you mentioned, by year 13, 14, we had a nice business, uh, a, a you know, good brokerage with 35 agents, a couple of budding teams, including my own. And um, I was kind of the operating partner of that. And I had a sales business doing maybe 12 million in, in sales with an assistant and, and the help of some good people. And um, 
And and then it got too much. It got to be too much. I was trying to run the brokerage and, and do the sales at the same time, and it was it was overload, and it wasn't good for my marriage at that point. And so we had a conversation with a new new business partner who who um, was with me almost from the beginning, who I didn't mention, Matt Madden, and um, he he took over the running of the brokerage at that point, and I focused on building a, a, a starting my own building my own team at that point, and. Um, then we shortly thereafter, maybe within two years of him taking that over, um, we saw an opportunity with with Keller Williams, and um, it was a hard decision because my family name, you know, that right. kind of pride, yep. the the hook name since 1943. Um, but you know what, Matt and I had had a lot of discussions about the future of of real estate, and I was an economics major in college, and I always was looking at the the financial model of real estate and I could see how the compensation model where it was trending in our industry and uh, I had seen massive changes since even I had started running the brokerage and what became really clear is that as a small smaller brokerage it was getting harder and harder for us to compete because we knew we had to give the agents more value uh, because we were friends with them but that that would only go so far for so long and Ultimately, what the right thing to do, we felt, was we, we needed to give them more value. And whether we were friends with them or not, that was our goal is to give the agents value. And um, and we couldn't do it uh, because the, the value is in the training, the technology, and the compensation. And we with, with, with a smaller brokerage, we struggled to give them the compensation that some of our competitors were giving them. And... If we changed our compensation, we would struggle even more to build the training out, and and the technology was incredibly expensive. Um, we also always liked the idea of sharing profits with our agents who helped grow the company, and um, we got called by every broker out there and other independents that always sought to buy our brokerage because we had a good business. Um, and I analyzed every single one of them, and um, I always came back in our offsites with Matt when we put together what. We wanted our company to be like we had five or six tenants, mm-hmm. and um, and it's funny that every time at that offsite we'd say, you know, there's only one company that shares those five or six things, and it was always Keller Williams. But Keller Williams was only the, one of the only outfits that had one license in a large area. A lot of the other outfits would want you to, you know, purchase their franchise, and they would have multiple in the same county or whatever. So. We, we liked that model and we just never knew of an opportunity. And then we got into conversation and the um, owners of, of the, the model were, were looking to transition and they were gracious enough to be in relationship with Matt and I. And, and so it was very long, hard decision, but it was a really good decision looking yeah. back and, and I'm grateful we made it. I love your story about the rollerblades and door knocking. And I hope some of the listeners who might be real estate agents are writing some notes down in terms of scripts. Like I know what yeah. to say. I'm going to go knock on some doors. That was good. Stuff. Yeah, that's, that's right. It wasn't uh, I, it's just where, where's your value. And at that point I didn't have a lot of right. knowledge, but I, I could work and I could respond and I could serve them. And you were yep. super authentic about it. You know, you were yeah, I, fake it till yeah, you make was, it. You were just like, Hey man, this is me. You know, this is all I got. Yep. I love that. <laughs> that's right. Love that. So you right. mentioned you mentioned how the compensation models in real estate have, have changed even since you've been in real estate. What are some other things, if any, that that have evolved in real estate from 2000 to now? Yeah, that's great. Great question. I think one of the biggest things that I've seen change 
is um, and, and disrupt the industry really is is this reality that when I first started the word team or, or group wasn't wasn't really a well-known thing right um, and the, the the story of the real estate agent of my grandfather and my dad and me in the early years was was this practitioner that you know the average agent is is juggling roughly 10 or 12 jobs and is often average at, at a lot of them. And I found myself in that boat that if, if I was going to master negotiation, pricing property, generating business, converting business, marketing, um, accounting, bookkeeping, you know, transact administration, all these different things, photography, I, it, there's a lot of jobs there. And I had to work more hours to master all of those. And I looked around at a lot of other industries and I realized that their industries were specialized and segmented. You go to the doctor and the doctor you know, somebody that's really good at health insurance handles that. And um, for some reason, real estate hadn't migrated and then it started to. And of course, you have a lot of teams um, that that some of them have no structure. Some of them have a lot of structure. But what I've seen in the last decade is more and more teams form that actually have a, a are getting more and more structured and more and more specialized, which is giving them a, a disruptive competitive advantage um, in a lot of ways. And it's not to say that the, the solo agent can't be competitive. They can be because they can sub out a lot of those roles. But it's getting harder to be a solo agent who takes care of everything. For ex- example, when I was in the business first, you took your own pictures with your phone. More and more, it's less and less common, and they're subbing out photography. And and that is happening across all of the areas. You're starting to see agents sub out sometimes showings. Um, There's transaction coordinators that that's all they do, and you can sub that out. So I think the biggest change is um, that when I got into real estate, it felt primitive compared to a lot of industries. And now I, I feel like it's started to evolve into we're starting to specialize like a lot of other industries have. Um, I had these jotted down in my mind as separate questions, but maybe we can make it one question. And that is, I always like to ask this, knowing what you know now after 18 years of experience in real estate, um, what would you have done differently, if anything? And maybe in that same answer, we're talking about some of the greatest obstacles or challenges you've had to overcome. Yeah, that's a really good question. I would have um, earlier on. I, I would have specialized sooner, um, meaning I, I almost wore it as a badge of honor, and I think this was me needing to mature. Of like, I, people would say, "How are you doing?" and I would say, "I'm busy." Mm. Right? I'm really busy, and um, I viewed myself as the the busier I was you know, the more important I was. Right. And, um, I I think that comes from a narrative after I've unpacked it a lot of, you know, maybe that I, I viewed myself and I still struggle with this a little bit of I'm not good enough or I'm not important. And I found that one way I can make myself feel good is by working hard and appearing busy and and achievement addiction and workaholism and all those types of things. And um, I've shed myself, fortunately, over the last few years of a lot of those narratives, and um, and I'm I'm not near as busy, and I have a lot more time in in my life to be present with people that I care about. Um, and I, I I wish I would have came 
to that truth earlier in my career because yeah. I think it cost me um, a lot and yeah. and uh, and it wasn't a healthy thing. Yeah. And so I think I think a lot of real estate agents struggle with work life balance. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, I, I I think just coming to that realization sooner that you don't you don't need to do bit to 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 be overly busy um, to feel good about yourself. Um, achievement doesn't equal importance, right? Um, and all all of those false narratives. And then beyond that, just realizing that um, you can give up jobs to people that are better at them than you are. And I, I didn't think that was true. I, you know, I, I wanted to control everything right. and be the best at all jobs, which meant I had to work 90 hours a week. Right. And, um, and it was a foolish, the whole thing was a foolish endeavor because none of it's true. And the truth is, is that there's lots of great people mm-hmm. around me that can mm-hmm. be a lot better at a lot of those jobs. And I need to find the thing that I'm good at and be comfortable allowing people around me that are smarter than <clears throat> me and better at other jobs to do those jobs and do them well. Yeah. Wow. Somebody needs to rewind that and listen to that again. I was that was that was really insightful. That was great. I appreciate you Thanks. sharing that. that yeah. Yeah. Hey, you're welcome. Um, I know that you and your company uh, are very much involved in your community. Tell me about the bigger mission of your company. How important is that to you? How important that should that be to somebody out there who's listening, who's thinking about starting a company or whatever? Yeah. Great question. So. Part of my story too that, that you and I have talked about before is um, just that I, you know, during some of that time when I was struggling with some of those narratives and my work week was longer, um, I I went to Haiti, country of Haiti, and um, for a few a few different times, and I met a little girl named Lovely, and she's about five years old, and I was working in a community after the earthquake in 2010. And um, this was a couple years after that. And I knew that from talking with Lovely over a little fence post in the dirt, she's in bare feet, and I can picture her, that she she was, she was didn't know if she was going to eat that day. And that was pretty normal for her. And, um, and for some reason, her story struck me more than most. And I won't get into all of it. But as I was flying home from that particular trip to Haiti, I realized that the question my wife and I were struggling with when we hit the tarmac here in the States was what color granite countertops we needed to put in our house. Mm. And those, those were the demands on our attention. Like we were going to have a little debate about that. And, um, that the extreme nature of what was on my mind, what was on lovely's mind was just, it, it just hit me in a way that really kind of, um, I, I just, I just really had a, uh, a conviction of like, what, what am I doing all this for? You know? And that, that's when I, I began to start to wrestle with those questions really. Right. And, um, and I decided to, to get out of real estate. I decided I couldn't do it the way that I was doing it for the rest of my life. It, it just wasn't sensible. And I talked to some folks and they wisely, uh, encouraged me that if I wanted to help people, which is what I told them I wanted to do, I wanted to get into ministry or homeless shelter or whatever it is that that there are all the same problems exist in those nonprofit organizations overwork you know achievement addiction employee <clears> issue, whatever the issues are it's not unique to real estate and that I was in people's homes every day and I may have some issues that I need to deal with about how I spend my time but that wouldn't go away by switching industries and because I was positioned in real estate I was in a unique position that we're in front of people that are telling us things that they might not even tell their therapist or their pastor. Like, right. you know, can you keep this to yourself? We're thinking about getting a divorce right. or, 
we're going to lose the house because so-and-so lost their job. Or we, we just had a baby and we haven't told anybody, but we need a new house. And um, as I thought about that reality, I thought, man, I'm really positioned in a place to, to help people. Yeah. And we had always used the dialogue of, you know, who do you know who might be buying or selling a home uh, in real estate in the next 12 months to get referrals? And I thought, what if we change that dialogue to who do you know with a random urgent need in the community we can serve? Mm. And what if we, you know, put a percentage of our proceeds of every house sale into a fund, you know, registered a nonprofit and then anonymously found ways to, to funnel that to people and surprise them uh, once we learned of their financial crisis. And so I gave the folks in my team at the time 50 bucks and I, I said, let's just try this out, you know, give it away, see how it goes, report back. So we did that. And, um, and we decided that it went well enough that we were going to try to turn it into a system. And so we did, we formed project lamplight. Um, it's a nonprofit and, um, we have a board of directors. I'm not on the board because our business is the main donor, um, of that. And so it's a little bit of a conflict of interest, but a board of directors, as money goes in there, they, they, um, evaluate the needs that come in. I think last year, the, the board uh, of Project Lamplight served about 50 or 60 families, gave away about $60,000 to people in crisis in the community. And essentially, the way it works is this. We, we have client events and we have our database, right? And we're talking to them anyway. And so we just make it a point to ask that question. By the way, before I let you go, who do you know in the community that might, might have a crisis we can serve? And um, through that, repetition over the years, we get about one to two text messages or emails a week of somebody they know that was in a car accident or have a medical issue or during this time, we, we've we've served a lot of needs. I think $18,000 given away in the last uh, four weeks due to COVID. Um, and it's just very random. And all we do is we forward it to the board of directors. They send out an eight question form to the referring person referring person fills that out on behalf of the recipient who they've earned the trust and the right to talk to about this stuff. We don't get involved in that conversation. Board of directors evaluates the need compared to the other needs that might be on the table at the time. And then usually it's approved if it meets two or three criteria. And then there's, there's just a check. It doesn't have a name on it or anything. It gets given to the referring party and then they deliver it to the recipient and just say, we give them this, the dialogue a local faith-based business wanted to help you out. And that's that's the extent of the exchange. And so through that process, we're able to touch some lives and then share those some of those stories back, um, right. not with names of the recipients because that's confidential, but some of the sure. stories about the situations. So every team meeting, we have a, a segment where we share the stories of the people that were helped by Project Lamplight. And ultimately, they, they were able to be helped because those agents did the, the, the hard work of selling houses. Right. And, um, and so there's a, there's a, we call it running a for-profit business with a not-for-profit purpose. And um, it's changed us in the sense that culturally, I think it gives us a little bit different purpose for why we do what we do. Um, it helps understand there's something bigger than us out there in the community. Yep. And um, honestly, I think it helps us serve our clients better because there's just another component other than just doing a transaction, right. um, there's a richer, um, you know, underbelly to the whole the whole experience on the real estate team. So I would say that project started out with fifty dollars and lovely in the country of Haiti has turned into what what arguably is maybe the the, the most important part of our business and of why I'm still doing this yeah. at, at this point. Yeah. Cool. So just briefly, um, you talk about Project Lamplight. People know that Project lamplight exists certainly within your team and some probably some people in the real estate community but probably any recipients have no idea 
Yeah, it'll... most of them. Every once in a while, you get one that'll track us down. But I would say eighty to ninety percent wouldn't have any idea where where it came from. And you did that on purpose. We did. Yeah. Yep. Cool. I like that. Um. What uh, What do you see happening in the real estate market now? We're kind of on the back end of this. Hopefully, back yeah, end of this hopefully. pandemic. Um, what's What's real estate doing either nationally, locally? What do What are you seeing? Yeah, so in the short term, um, I can only tell you what uh, what I read and what what is the one constant that continues to be the narrative is uncertainty. Um, and one day, you'll, you depending on the source almost and and the spin, you'll see that we are going to have a very long recovery here. And other times, you'll read that we're going to have a short recovery. Um, what what I know is that housing supply is at an all time low in in the United States yeah. and particularly in our area in South Central PA and it hasn't really been this low in in any recorded history that I can find right. and that can't be corrected in uh, overnight so that's a long process and with my economics background I know the X Y axis and I know when supply of anything is low even if demand drops on the price curve prices will have a, a mathematical challenge to actually fall. Right. So maybe they'll fall in the short term, maybe a blip. I'm not sure, but it would be hard for me to understand how the housing market will have a problem with, with, with values. Um, if you ask me to guess and your guess is maybe as good as mine, you know, I, I feel like there's a lot of pent up demand right now. Uh, and I've talked to a lot of people in our brokerage and on my team and I can see the signed contracts feels like there's a bit of a wave coming in the next few weeks of, of that pent-up activity that didn't take place in the last few months. Once that's done, I think you know we'll, we'll probably settle in and, and finally realize where the economy actually is. And my, my guess is there's some reduced buying power at that point, whether it's a quarter or two from now, that right. uh, if, if there would have been X amount of transactions, there's going to be a little less than X amount of transactions <laughs> because some people that would have bought or sold have decided not to because their employment was affected, their bank account was affected. Um, with that said, even with that drop in demand, with supply of housing so low, I still think there's going to be, uh, it's unlikely that prices are going to have, have uh, be affected a whole lot. Yeah. And everything that I've been reading looks at 2021 as another year of increasing uh, average values in the housing market and likely starting to get unemployment you know, back down and, and demand back up. Maybe not to where it was, but starting to get back up to yeah. some level of normalcy yeah. in 2021. So um, I, I, I think I'm optimistic, but cautiously optimistic, more optimistic in the long term, one to two years than in the next uh, quarter from now. Um, but I think we'll get through it. And even if there's a spike in this thing, um, we've been through it once. And, and, right. and my hope is, is that if everybody's managing their expenses wisely, you know, we'll get through it again. I do expect there to be a drop in the number of realtors in the, in the MLS, like there always has been during right. some sort of correction. Um, and, and so, you know, there, there might be some additional opportunity for those of us who stay in the business right. over the next couple of years. Yeah. Cool. What's the best advice you give someone thinking about getting into real estate or starting their own business? Great question. Um, two, couple things. One is, um, my dad's advice in, in 2003 was the same as uh, Danielle Kennedy's, and it would be the same advice I would give a new agent today. Um, you got to talk to a lot of people about real estate to get the phone to ring. And there's only so many ways you can talk to people about real estate. Um, so so that's, that's advice number one. 
Advice number two is um, understand what job you're doing. Understand understand exactly what job you're doing. Uh, a lot of people get into real estate to show houses, and that's not really the job that we're doing. Right. Understand that it's a job of generating, uh, having conversations to generate business and opportunities. And um, if you're not willing to get good at that and lean into that, it, it might not be the right career. Um, or you might want to do a different part of the job working with a brokerage or another real estate team. Um, so be clear on those two things. Um, another piece of advice is um, learning and studying how to manage time is, is, is a, a basic foundational thing that I think everybody undervalues the importance of that. And so taking some seminars and reading books on that, I think is one of the first thing most people should do. And, um, and don't be afraid to give, give, uh, give your role away. Don't be afraid to not to lose control. Uh, if, if somebody's doing it 70% as good as you think you can do it, they're probably doing it better than you. Um, <laughs> There's a little bias a there one. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Last piece of advice is if you're getting in, if you're going to own a business, understand that owning a real estate business is different than being in real estate sales. So everything I talked about, about understanding your job is understanding that you're in sales. If you're going to build a real estate team or a brokerage, it's a different skill set. And I learned that the hard way and it was a struggle. You need to study management and leadership, um, tracking and finance. And those are different skill sets than, than sales. So to get from A to B, uh, it's a different skill set than to get from B to C. Um, so that's the journey of salesperson to real estate business owner. And the last thing for any business owner, I would say two things is that um, finance, finance and, and tracking uh, is a skill set that I believe is dramatically underutilized. And um, understanding before you start a business exactly what your economic model is, what your gross profit is, your gross margin, uh, what your expense structure is, and sticking to that is the backbone of success. And if you don't have that right, everything you do and set on top of that is going to falter and it's going to affect your work-life balance, your marriage, your overwork, everything else. Right. So that's underestimated and read two books, um, two, two, two books about business ownership that I would always recommend are the book traction by Gino Wickman and, uh, E-Myth revisited by Michael Gerber, just really good foundational business books that have changed, uh, changed my business for sure. Awesome. I was going to ask you that the best book you've ever read there's two yeah. of them. Is there a different one that would be like, this is the best book I've ever read? I read the Bible every morning and I uh, appreciate its wisdom in my life, uh, loving others and the value in that uh, and, and grace and forgiveness. I uh, appreciate Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's a yeah. really good book. And then uh, if you're going to build a business, those two books I just mentioned. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, totally random question for you, Dave. If you wrote an autobiography or someone wrote a biography about you, what would the title be? Man, it's a great question. I think at this point in, um, in, in my journey, I think that the most valuable lesson I learned is that it's okay to be vulnerable. And so it would have something to do with, with, you know, my struggle with vulnerability. Hmm. And, um, the more I can lean into to to vulnerability and um, being okay expressing you know failure and um, leaning into the ideas that I don't have all the answers, uh, the, the better off I generally am. 
And I think that that journey has been really rich and continues to be helpful for me. So it's something about that. I might turn that into the uh, to the title of this podcast somehow, but <laughs> if I can steal it from you. <laughs> Whatever you think's best. <laughs> I'm good with it. Yeah, awesome. I appreciate you uh, sharing, sharing with me and sharing that thought. And I mean, there was so much good stuff that we talked about that you shared in this uh, in this episode. I hope that people really took some notes and listened to this again because there's some really, really heavy hitting stuff in there. So uh, I appreciate that. So as we kind of wrap up here, man, plug yourself. How can people follow you on social or contact you otherwise? It's yours. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, you can you can find me in a couple different places. Um, you can certainly, you know, just type Dave Hook Real Estate in, into Google is a great place to find me. Um, and if you go on, uh, we have a very active uh, couple social media accounts. I would say the most active one is my team page. And uh, it's Dave Hook Team. So facebook.com slash Dave Hook Team. And uh, you can check us out on there and get all of our content. We do a lot of real estate training content on there. And um, you can reach out and connect with us uh, th- through, through that if you want. Yeah. Awesome stuff, Dave. I, I really appreciate you again. Um, well, th- thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure uh, sharing my story. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm uh, honored, honored. I hope you all found Dave's story to be highly relatable and insightful. I know I did. Uh, Remember to connect with Dave on social through his various channels. I'd love to connect with you as well. Follow me on Instagram and Facebook at John Bomberger. Also on LinkedIn, uh, if you're on LinkedIn. Uh, Take a second to subscribe to this podcast anywhere you prefer to listen, either on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and of course right here on Anchor. Give me some feedback on this episode. What hits you the most? If you know someone that has a compelling story to tell, or you'd like to hear a particular topic discussed, drop a note uh, or a line in the comments or leave me a message in Anchor. Uh, Today I will leave you with a quote from author, professor, and podcaster Brene Brown. Vulnerability is the birthplace of innovation, creativity, and change. See you next time.